as we come and gather every Sunday, you may be surrounded by idol worshipers. In fact, before we're saved, we are all idol worshipers. We don't have uh, little idols in our homes, probably in our car, uh, a little shelf that has our idols, but as Ezekiel 14 says, we have idols of the heart. And uh, most of our idols uh, we use to, um, to control, to help them, to help us, to live the life that we want to live. But Christianity is different than that. A lot of people are going to church today because it's going to help them get through the week, and they're going to use God like they'd use a lucky rabbit's foot. But that's not Christianity. We don't use God. We don't use idols. Uh, we give ourselves to God, and God uses us. We start taking our instruction, our authority, not from our own hearts anymore. After our salvation, we start taking our authority, our instruction from the true and living God. And we can't do better than God can. We sung about it upon a life I have not lived. I stake my whole eternity. Yes, we know as Christians that our eternity is based on the blood of Christ, which you read about here in First Peter 2. But how about every day? Every day you and I live, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. Our flesh and the world and the devil is going to say, take your eyes off of Jesus and focus on yourself again. And you know what's going to happen when we do that? We're going to start falling. We're going to feel like Peter trying to walk on water without Jesus' help. We're going to start sinking. Every single day, we have to turn our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. First Peter, I uh, showed you First Peter uh, in our scripture reading for two words. One is the idea of obedience. Look at verse 14 in First Peter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't go back and worship your idols that you worshiped before you were set free from those idols. And First Thessalonians says you turn from idols to the true and living God. So don't go back and live like you don't know Christ. As obedient children, and then look at verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holiness is a step to be set apart. Holiness the world scoffs and mocks at. But we as Christians, we hold this idea of holiness as something extremely special, valuable. Why? Look at verse 19. But with the, we are bought with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Our Savior was holy. And because He is holy, God accepted His sacrifice on our behalf. And He says, I have given you an example of holiness. Be holy as I am holy. And we have the example of Christ. And we have a new master, new master in Romans 6. We're going to go back to Romans 6 now. Is said to be the new master of righteousness. It really is our righteous Savior. A new master of righteousness and a new result of holiness. Well, have you ever had a hard time understanding something until someone illustrates it? 
You say, Pastor, that's me every time you preach. I don't get it until you illustrate it. Okay, that's okay. That's how, <laughs> that's how I was, am for a lot of, um, a lot of uh, my growing up years as well. Maybe you go to the doctor, and the doctor uses language that is way over your head. And you're like, Doc, help me out. Bring, bring it down to where I can understand. I don't know the terms. I don't know the medicine. Explain what I have in, in layman's terms. So your doctor explains your condition and gives you an illustration. And you're like, oh, okay. Or maybe you go to the car mechanic. And he explains and uses the catalytic converter. And you're like, whoop, you lost me. What, a what converter? What, what's that do? Uh, why do I need it? And you don't understand until he gives you an illustration that you do understand. So imagine you're a doctor and you're going to a mechanic or you're a mechanic going to a doctor. They've pro- knowing who you're talking to would help you to know how to illustrate it in a way that they can, they can get it. Okay? That's what Paul's doing here in Romans 6 especially verse 19. He's going to say, I'm going to, I know your natural limitations, so I'm using, I'm, I'm showing you this illustration. And the illustration that he's using throughout Romans 6 is one of a slave and a master. And you say, okay, we're in the 21st century. Slavery hasn't been in existence in our country for over 100 years. You don't know any slaves. You've never been in slavery. It's like using farming illustrations. You guys don't go home to your farms. Uh, but a lot of this, the illustrations in Scripture are farming. You're like, I, I don't know farming, okay? So I'll, I'll do my best to help you uh, understand the illustration. But why do we need an illustration? We need an illustration because God's telling us truth in a spiritual realm, and we're having a hard time understanding the spiritual realm. We all struggle with sin. We can all agree with that. Yes. What is it like to struggle with sin? Ah, it feels like, now we've all seen pictures or seen a, a movie or had this concept of slavery, but imagine a group of slaves that they're all chained together at the wrist and they all have just been captured Uh, from a battle, and they're being taken off of the battlefield, walked miles and miles from the battlefield back to the city where they, everyone is going to celebrate the victory, and they are now in chains. They go from chains to an auction. They go from an auction to a new master, and that master bought them and owns them for the rest of their lives. Okay, that's slavery. Now, we don't, other than what we've seen and can read about, we haven't experienced it. But the Bible talks about a lot of things that we haven't experienced, like crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground. We try to use our imaginations to put ourselves there. What would it have been like? But by faith, we understand that everything's written is true. And to try to understand... um, our condition before Christ and our condition after Christ in slave language. We have to put ourselves in this illustration because in Roman times, in Bible times, the Romans, half or a third to a half of the, the people in that culture were slaves. Some of them looked like slaves working out in fields. Others didn't look like slaves living in homes and doing the master's bidding and going to the market and buying things, and they, you couldn't tell just by looking at them at times that they were slaves, but 
This idea of slave and master is the illustration that he has chosen, that Paul has chosen to help us understand our condition before Christ and now our condition in Christ. When it comes to the spiritual realm, we all struggle to understand how we are to live in a way that pleases God. So God uses a slave-master relationship to help us understand our new position in Christ. And our new position in Christ is under a wonderful new master. All right, so Christ in verse 18, we've got two points here, verse 18 and verse 19. We have a new master. Righteousness is the righteous standard, always doing what's right. You can imagine a master who always treats you well, who cares about you, who provides for you, who does everything. If you have a cough, he's going to take you to the doctor, okay? He cares about you, okay? Often masters weren't like this, but I'm assuming Philemon, as a believer in the New Testament, he is like this. He's going to treat Onesimus. When Onesimus goes back to him, he's going to treat him well. And there's several instructions in uh, uh, Ephesians and Colossians about how masters are to live and why they are to treat their slaves with honor because they are uh, image bearers of God. So there were righteous masters. They were probably few and far between. But Jesus is the perfect master. He's a right, he always does what's right. And then, what do we get because we are serving this new master? We get a life of holiness, all right? So, slaves, good slaves, obey their master, and the master uh, helps them, provides for them. And so, this is the illustration that we have. You see in your Bible, you, you, most uh, translations, uh, probably the King James doesn't use the word servant, but most of the modern translations use the word slave uh, throughout uh, Romans 6, because servant doesn't quite capture uh, this idea, but the word, is, the word is slave. So, verse 15, we'll pick up the context here in verse 15. What are we then to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have, um, that you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Verse 18 is a very short verse, simple summary of verses 15 to 17. And I didn't have time last week to add verse 18, so I'll mention verse 18, but we're going to spend most of our time uh, in verse 19, which gives us uh, a lot of truth here to, to chew on. All right, so having been set free, verse 18 says, from sin. There was one way, one primary way to, to be free, and that was to be purchased. Whether, and some slaves could earn uh, their living, could earn money, uh, but their price would, uh, would be very high, okay? You imagine um, probably slaves similar in price to a car, 
Okay, so a new car today, let's say $40,000, average new car price. If, if you were sold into slavery and your owner says, okay, you are worth to me $40,000. If you can earn that $40,000, you can buy your own freedom. Or you have a wealthy relative, a wealthy friend, and they could buy you out of slavery, but $40,000 is your going price. You're like, oh, 40 grand. And then your master says, and you can, you can earn it, and uh, you're going to be making minimum wage. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> minimum wage, let's say, uh, I think Massachusetts is around $15 an hour. I didn't do the math, but you can do the math, and um, that, that's a, a little while to save up 40 grand if you can save every single penny and not spend anything. Uh, it's going to take you a while to, to buy your own freedom. And if you're thinking 40 grand is my price and there's no credit cards, there's no loans for you, you have to, to pay cash, your master says, you think, okay, who do I know that would buy me out of slavery for 40 grand? Who do I know that has 40 grand in the bank? Your mind starts going, right? This is the picture uh, that we have here, the illustration, verse 18. We have been set free. Set free from whom? from sin. Sin is an awful master. Awful. If you were on the, the, the block, uh, the slave block, and you were observing the crowd of the wealthy men and women there that were buying slaves that day at the slave market, you could observe someone. Maybe he's got, um, he's just got a rough appearance he talks rough. He swears all the time. He's got a reputation in town for cruelty. And you're thinking, oh, not him, not him, not him. Please, not him. And he buys you. He abuses you. You'd rather die than serve him, but you can't. And he owns you for years. There was once life in your eyes, joy in your heart, and there's nothing left after he abuses you for years except hopelessness, pain, hurt, scars, regret. The people around you in the office tomorrow, the people around your workplace, people you rub shoulders with, that have given themselves over to a life of sin, whether it's gambling or alcohol or drugs or immorality or covetousness or anger, bitterness. And they've been trapped in that sin for years. You may look down on them and say, I'm glad I'm not like you, or think that but they're still in slavery to that sin. They dabbled with it at first. As a teenager, they got into a certain sin of their preference or sins of their preference, thought it was no big deal. And then that sin started to control them. It started to abuse them. It started to destroy their mind, destroy their hearts, destroy their physical body. They look 
older than their years because their sin is sucking the life out of them. And Romans 6 has this picture for us to understand. Sin starts small. It starts with hiding from parents, hiding from authority. It starts with if you get caught, oh well, it's just a little slap on the wrist. And it progresses to an awful place. Every sin is like this. Every one of us, according to James 1, we are tempted with sin, we commit sin, and then sin, when it's finished with us, brings forth death. Sin destroys us. It always does. It has captured our heart, it has corrupted our mind, and it has corrupted our whole lives. Our hands, our feet, our tongue, our eyes, everything is captured by sin. And we, in Romans 6, are set free. We're set free. If you were a slave for years to a horrible master and a wealthy businessman comes who is perfectly kind and says, 40 grand, no big deal. Here's the check. I will take them. That's what happens at salvation. We are set free. And you expect that new master to treat you like the old, manipulate you, abuse you, curse you. And he's kind, he's patient. He's loving. He's considerate. He is forgiving. This is our new master. We have been set free from sin, and we have become slaves of righteousness. So here's the picture Christ changes our master, and he sin fallen, sin-cursed, depraved world. Here we are on the world, and we are either slaves. Every single person on the face of the earth is either, verse 18 puts everybody in one of two categories. You're either a slave to sin, or you've been set free from sin, and you're a slave of righteousness. But someone, most of us don't, they, we all want to be in charge, right? We don't want to be slaves of anything. So we talk to people in the office tomorrow, and we hear about their, their party that they had over the weekend. They can't remember a lot of it, and um, immorality was definitely part of it. And you say, okay, so you like, it sounds like you like partying. Yeah. What do you like about partying? Well, we, we drink, we maybe do some drugs, and then we just hook up and we do whatever, and we wake up where we don't really remember a lot of what happened. Okay. So what if next weekend could you stop partying? They say, no. I mean, this is what we do on the weekends. All of my friends party. 
Really? All, yes, all of my close friends party. They all party together. We all party together. So you, so you can't stop. No, I can't stop. We pity someone that can't stop sinning. But for the Christian, there's another option. They don't have to party. See, Christ is our master now. See, you only can serve one master. Christ changes who our master is. There's just two options on God's earth. We're all either slaves of sin or we're a slave to Jesus. And so people in the office tomorrow will talk to you and say, what'd you do on the weekend? You didn't party? No, actually not. I got some yard work done. Well, outside, not, not too much. Inside, work done in my house, got some painting done, uh, got together with some friends. What did you guys do when you got together with friends? Well, we actually, we didn't drink. We didn't hook up and immoral. We actually had just a good time. We played games. Uh, we could remember everything that we talked about and enjoyed. And then that was Saturday, and then Sunday we went to church. What? We sang songs about Jesus. We opened Jesus' word. We all are worshiping Jesus. We got together in fellowship after, and we talked about Jesus and how wonderful he is. And they look at us and say, all right, that sounds like an awful life. Really? It is an awful life to follow Jesus? For the world in rebellion to Jesus, it is an awful life. Because why? They're slaves of sin. They would rather have their sin that abuses them, that tortures them, that helps them forget their problems and makes their problems ten times worse and sucks the life out of them. They'd rather have that than being a slave to Jesus. See, Christ changes who our master is. He sets us free. And we having been set free from sin, we become slaves of righteousness. Verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitation. All right, I have a picture up here. This is AI-produced picture. I'm messing around with AI, trying to figure out uh, how I can... Uh, whatever you type in, AI picture pops out. That first picture of the world was as well. This one is, what does uh, lawlessness look like in a city? All right, so... If you come and you aren't from around here or you go visit uh, some other part of the country and your relative friend lives near a city, like, hey, let's go to, and when people come here, I'm not from here, none of my relatives are from here, let's go to Boston. All right, let's go to Boston. However, if Boston looks like this, this is the average person on the street of Boston. They're all carrying machine guns. There are fires. There are homelessness, there is graffiti everywhere, uh, there is all kinds of stuff that you just can't even imagine. The worst city, lawless, I mean, no, no police around. They don't even want to be there. It's out of control. Would I talk my relatives out of going to Boston? Eh, let's go to the mountains, let's go to the beach, let's go somewhere else. We are not going to that city because you're probably going to get beat up. You're probably going to be mugged. You're gonna, whatever you close, they will probably uh, take everything of value off of you and leave you um, beat up on the side if 
if you're still alive. God illustrates our position, and our position in verse 19 is illustrated by this. He says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitation. We have a hard time understanding what slavery to sin, slavery to righteousness looks like. So he says, okay, verse 19, here it is. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Let's assume this is a real guy up here. I don't know if you can see, he's got, he's got tattoos and I don't know what he's covering. All right, so, but he has got a nobody tells me what to do mentality. Let's say he's 30 years old and he's already committed murder um, multiple times, immoral. Um, and you, you hear him talk and just everything coming out of his mouth is vulgar. Everything. You're like, okay, here is a life that is characterized by lawlessness. How did he get here? I assume his parents didn't want him to grow up to be like this. Maybe they did if dad looks just like this. Um, But for the most part, no. Um, He started, look at verse 19 again, he started presenting his body as a slave to impurity. What is impurity? Uncleanness. See, and and we're going to go from the heart to the mind to the actions, what we can see. What is an impure heart desire? Here is where it begins. It begins in our heart. Our impure heart desires sin. We are all born rebels. We just have to read a commandment. We see a speed limit sign. We're like, "Eh, nope, that's not for me. Or I, I see this on getting off of an exit, and the, the, the suggested speed of off-ramp is usually 20, 30. I'm like, I bet I could go faster than that. I think that way. Every time I see it, I'm like, and then I start looking at my speedometer as I'm going around the corner, you know, just making sure that I can go faster than what that says, just because I'm a rebel at heart. If your parents say, don't watch this, don't listen to this kind of music. What do you want to do when they're not around? When you're at your friend's house, what do you want to watch? What you know you shouldn't watch. What kind of music do you want to listen to? Well, whatever my parents don't like. That's what I want to listen to. Why? This is the human heart. It starts small with just impurity. You want freedom from all external restraints. An impure heart desires complete control of one's life. Nobody tells me what to do with my body. We hear that preached and preached and preached and legislated now in our country. The heart tells the mind and the body to keep serving self. And we hear it preached and sung about and taught by experts, and they say you have to be true to yourself, and it's one of the greatest virtues of the American in 2024, being true to yourself. Well, at least you're true to yourself. What does that mean? That means you follow your impure heart. Where does this impure heart lead? 
Well, your heart always affects your mind and your actions. So an impure mind thinks that, hey, I'm free to do what I want. You're creating a fantasy world where your mind is now creating, how can I create a world where I'm in complete control? And how can I use what other people have used? And this is where idolatry comes in. I can use something to help me control everything in my life. An impure mind thinks, I'm free to do what I want now. I can use others in my mind for my pleasure. And this is where lust and coveting starts running rampant in our minds. The greatest good is my happiness. So many people say, Happiness is the greatest, greatest good. If you have pain, something's wrong. If you're not happy, something's wrong. Happiness is not the greatest good for the Christian. But for the world, oh, it is. And they will think thoughts like, I deserve this or that. I expect you to do this or that for me. Because I want you to make me happy. The impure mind is getting fed by the impure heart. And the impure mind, when caught with sin, the impure mind also has to create reasons to sin. Hiding sin. And then when you're exposed, excuses when you're caught sinning. And the mind goes to work for the impure heart so that the life is being corrupted from the heart to the mind. And then, when exposed, the impure actions are a result of the impure heart and mind. The actions make the person obviously guilty, earning a reputation of being impure or unclean or disobeying God or rebellious. Or as Proverbs would say, a fool, or the fool on steroids, a scoffer. Without repentance, and this passage in Romans 6 is for Christians, without repentance, the impure Christian will live as though God's laws have no governing power over him or her. They've been convinced from their heart to their mind and now their actions that, hey, I am my own boss. Happiness is my greatest goal in life, and I'm going to use God and others to get that goal. And when God or other people, godly people, confront me with God's Word, they're wrong and I'm right. Here is someone who is right in their own eyes. And Proverbs says there's more hope for a fool than for that kind of person. How does someone get to be always right in their own eyes? Because they're a person who has an impure heart, who has meditated on impure thoughts for a very long time. And when confronted to turn and repent from the heart, now look at verse 17 again. These people who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart. They started obeying God from the heart. They allowed God to control their heart. They repented of sins of their heart. Their desires were wrong, and, so, and they were sinful, and so they turned from their sin from their heart. 
A Christian no longer has to be a slave to sin. You don't have to have an impure heart or an impure mind or impure actions. And given enough time listening to an impure heart with an impure mind and justifying impure actions, where does this lead? Well, verse 19 tells us where it leads. It leads to chaos, anarchy, lawlessness. Verse 19 says, slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. You're not just following the crowd. You're leading the crowd in rebellion against God. You're organizing things that God hates. You're posting online all kinds of things coming from an impure heart, an impure mind, and an impure life now. You're trying to get as many people to follow you in rebellion against God and His Word as you can. And this is what it would look like if everyone in a city didn't want to obey the law. Everybody's following their heart. Everybody's following their wicked heart and their wicked mind, and this is what it looks like. It looks like right before the flood. So violent. Genesis 6 says that God says, mankind is hopeless. I've got to start over. That's the direction our culture is going. When we were slaves of sin, all we got from our impure, unclean lives was lawlessness. That's what Romans 6.19 says. But it's not, it's a comparison using human terms, using an illustration here. He's not done in Romans 6.19 with the lawlessness. He says, as you have presented your body, your heart, your mind, your actions to uh, impurity, so now present your members. Look at the end of verse 19. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So there is a righteous standard. That's what the word righteous means. It's a righteous standard. And it's not you. And it's not how you feel. It's not how you can devise Are you being in control of your life and creating a fantasy world where everyone serves you. That's where an impure life leads. That's where being slaves to sin leads, where everyone's got their own little world, where they are king, they are sovereign. And as the worlds collide, it leads to chaos. No one tells me what to do. Why? Because no one tells the king what to do. I'm an absolute sovereign, or if you're a queen. But you're never in charge of the world. You being in charge of the world is a lie from Satan. This is not your earth. Why not? Because you didn't create it. And you aren't eternal. You aren't here from the beginning. Read the first four words of your Bible. In the beginning, God. You have to be eternal and you have to have the power of God if you're going to be sovereign. And we're all thankful that we don't have that power. And no one else is sovereign. 
You can take any title you want. You can have all as big a kingdom as you want, but that does not make you God. That makes you an idol. There is only one true and living God, and you're not Him. Three-year-olds need to know that with discipline. Four-year-olds need to know that with discipline. Five-year-olds need to know that with discipline. Grab their little lapels and say, you are not in charge. Mom and dad do not listen to you. You do not have the wisdom and knowledge that you need to make informed decisions for yourself. That's why you have parents. That's why you have godly people in your life, in a church. That's why we have godly leaders. Because we're all prone to thinking we're in charge, and we're not. So just as you thought that you were in charge, and what did you get when you thought you were in charge? You lived an impure life that led from lawlessness to even more lawlessness and chaos around you, destruction in your wake. So what do you do now as a Christian, now that you're free from sin? In verse 18, you're free to present your body, your mind, your heart, and your actions as slaves to righteousness. There are so many things that we think are right because we have uh, lied about our, to ourselves, that we believe lies, that Scripture says that is not, that's not right. You don't deserve this or that, that your heart is screaming at you. You are not in complete control of your life. You're actually, your life's out of control because you have been in charge. And Christ hasn't been in charge of your life. So, imagine from one city to the next. Now, if the city looks like this, again, AI produced, uh, smiling people in a city, I think I I typed in. Now, if everyone in, in the city is smiling, and they're not just trying to pick your pocket while they smile, right? They're smiling, and they want to help you. If you are confused, it's your first time, oh, they'll tell you, hey, this is a good place to eat, and uh, this is a good place to shop, and, uh, and they're very friendly, very helpful, and everyone's like that. Everyone. Uh, it's hard to imagine the city like that, but let's just imagine. A city where everyone's helpful, everyone's loving, everyone's kind, nobody even locks their car or their house because everyone's trustworthy. Like, whoa, that's heaven. That's where we're going. That's where perfectly obedient Christians, that's what their city should look like. Perfectly obeying their master. Everybody is trusting Christ. Everybody is pointing you to Christ. Everybody is worshiping Christ and not their own selves. No one wants to be the center of attention because there's only one master and He is perfect. And only He is worthy to be worshiped and praised and adored. See, our our God illustrates this position for us too. As you presented your body to be slaves to impurity, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. A righteous heart desires to please Jesus from the heart. A righteous heart 
wants to do what's right, even if the mind and the actions and everyone else doesn't. And there are times when we have to tell our heart, hey, you're struggling with this because your heart is not right before God. So what do we do to get our heart right before God? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If impurity is attacking your heart, it's going to affect your mind and your actions. So you start with the heart. God, I wanted something that wasn't mine to have. God, I wanted pleasure, and I was going to disobey you to get it. This is how we confess our sin to God. God, I wanted to be in control of my room, so that's the reason I hit my brother or sister. Here is a confession that pleases God, that accurately repents. The reason I'm looking at pornography, God, is I want something that you're not giving me. The reason I watch things I shouldn't watch late night TV and I laugh at things I shouldn't laugh at because I feel better. And this is how I'm dealing with my problems, God, whenever I know that you can help me with them better. I'm not going to expose all of our ways to sin, but our It leads to lawlessness and more lawlessness, right? As we give our hearts what it wants. But a righteous heart desires to please Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Does your heart want to please Jesus? You sit down, parents, and talk with your teenagers and say, do you really want to please Jesus from your heart? I can't make you. There is not a pill created. There's nothing you can buy at Walmart or Amazon that can change someone to want to please Jesus. You know what will help? God's truth. Think about the tremendous price that Jesus paid for your little sinful heart. Look at Him dying on the cross in your place. Shouldn't you be grateful and loving for a Savior? Romans 5.8, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And your heart gets warm as you think toward God, as you think about what He has done for you. And your sin looks awful when you think of Jesus paying for your sin on the cross. Keep going back to the cross. The whole New Testament takes us back to the cross. This is our motivation for obedience is the cross. And a righteous heart desires to please Jesus, and it leads a Christ follower away from sin. And I just want to get closer to my holy Savior. My Savior has shown me how to live, has shown me how to be mocked and abused. He has shown me how to not give evil for evil. He has shown me how to love enemies. He has shown me how to forgive. He has shown me everything I need to know about life and godliness, is found in the knowledge of our Savior, 2 Peter 1 says. So we were slaves of sin, and we all got from our impure, unclean lives what was lawlessness, and now we are slaves of our righteous Savior, and we are free to write. That doesn't make sense. Someone needs to proof these slides. All right, and are being changed to be like our Savior.
we are free to do right probably and are being changed to be like our holy Savior. God illustrates our position. And I have a chart. We're out of time. I will show you that chart uh, next week. And I'm slowing way down in Romans because this, Romans 6 and 7 and 8, are the passages to help us as Christians to grow to be like Jesus. If you and I can master Romans 6, 7, and 8 and understand the truth of that, it will help us for ourselves to know how to be holy, and it'll help us as we help others how to, in their heart, from their heart, through their mind, to their actions, how to be holy. Why holy? Because that's the last word of verse uh, 19. It says, but as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Sanctification is the noun of which holy is the adjective or a verb. To be holy is to be sanctified or to to be holy. Our Savior is the example. So, do you understand your new position in Christ under the perfect master? Does your pride, your independent spirit, balk at that wonderful reality? You hate that thought, I am still a slave even after I'm a Christian? Submitting to Jesus as Lord is the perfect way to live. Say, I disagree. Uh, well, you're against God then and His Word, because that's what Romans 6 is telling us. Submitting yourself to a perfect, righteous master is the perfect way to live. Recognizing His sovereignty over your body will help you trust and obey Him instead of your flesh, instead of the world, instead of Satan. Ask Him daily, because it's a struggle. We all struggle to understand it. We all struggle to apply it. Ask Him daily to take your life and let it be wholly devoted to Him. He bought you with a price, the precious blood of Christ. It is not too much for Him to ask you to live, you and I to live for Him. If you need help, ask someone, and we'll walk with you through Romans 6. You may have to memorize verses from Romans 6 so that you can bring them to mind as you present your body uh, to an unrighteous slave of sin. You say, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going down the wrong road again. My heart is not right with God. My mind is not right with God. My actions are clearly not right with God. And I want to be obedient from the heart. Verse 17, to the standard of teaching to which I was committed. Let's pray. Our Father, we need wisdom now to take what you have illustrated for us in Romans six nineteen, and know how to apply it to our lives today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that we don't sin against you. You know we struggle. We struggle, our hearts struggle, our minds struggle, our actions struggle, our eyes, our tongue struggles, our hands, our feet. We're struggling people. We're prone to wander away from you with your love, by your spirit, with your people around us, your church, help us not to make excuses anymore for being slaves to sin. Thank you for setting us free and help us now to know how to walk in newness of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.